Chapter 19 of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Abrenica, World Audiobooks Podcast. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gasquane Hartley. Section 13 of Children. Sentimental Tampering with Difficult Problems with some remarks on sex favoritism. It is sometimes difficult to have patience with the proposals that are brought forward so frequently and with such persistent zeal to amend our criminal law. One cannot doubt the sincerity of these efforts to improve our disordered moral conditions, but something more than goodwill is required. There is such a thing as overhaste in righteousness. Besides, the attitudes taken by these scavengers of conduct is almost always sentimental and one-sided. It is also dishonest. I say so because, almost without exception, they fail entirely to meet the true facts of the evils they attempt to cure. As reformers, they seem to have but one idea. If they have more, they keep them secret, for they agitate but for one object. Morality is a word that has been wrested from its true meaning of the whole duty of man in his social character and limited to the one narrow application of sexual conduct. It is curious and significant. It is as we transfer to others some judgment which unconsciously was imposed from within. Yet, obviously, the strongest impediment against effective reform lies just here, in this blindness to reality, this separation from the truth. I need not wait to enlarge upon this further. It is impossible to contradict. To judge blindly is to judge upon a lie. Would you ask me to give you examples? There is, to take one illuminative instance, the long-continued and still unsettled agitation for raising the age of consent for girls. Those who are chiefly eager for this reform invariably events from sidesill, combined with the most curious and deplorable ignorance of the real facts. I cannot for a moment believe that they are in the least degree consciously blind but that does not alter the fact that they are blind. Instead of facing the situation squarely with knowledge and due consideration of all the complicated conditions, they ignore everything they do not want to see. They wallow in sex righteousness. Consider again the controversy that raged now some time back with regard to the white slave traffic, the sudden frenzy, the affrobe story of the trapping of girls, clamor for legislative measures, every moral reformer become obsessed. The instinctive attitude of the one ideal reformer had a unique chance of displaying itself, and one marveled at the almost curious enthusiasm rated to inexperience with which the subject was approached, while the most offensive feature of the agitation was the sex obsession, which gave rise to the silly notion of the helpless perfection of women and the dangerous opposite view of the indescribable imperfections of men. It is no exaggeration to say that every sense of reality was lost in white clouds of virtue. I would wish to make it plain that I am not judging these questions either on one side or the other. What I desire to show is the danger of the prejudice view, and the danger is particularly active in connection with all these attempts at changing the law in order to give greater protection to women and girls while at the same time boys are left unprotected. 
This unpopular view of the need to protect the boy from the girl, the man from woman, the temptress of man, is not usually brought forward. Yet, it is a view of the situation seen from a different side that cannot be neglected. The evidence is overwhelming of girls of 16 years and even younger tempting boys of the same age as well as those older than themselves. If in such cases, the boy is to be punished and the girl treated as a wrong and helpless victim, not only will a great injustice be done, but there will be a very certain danger of graver demoralizations. This truth of the woman's power, which depends upon nature and not upon law. The supporters of a one-sided alternation of our criminal law too often fail to face. I am reminded here of a little incident that happened many years ago. I had quarreled seriously with a man who before I had always liked and respected. For what I then considered was his light treatment of a certain girl who was my friend. She had written and told me her side of this occurrence. Very well, I recall what he said. You don't understand, she asked for it. Then, when I pressed him further, he went on. A man always treats a girl in the way she wants him to do. Now, one of the greatest troubles in connection with all sex legislation today arises from this fact that women do not understand. They are inexperienced and in too great a hurry. They think they can cure old evils with quick penny in the slot reforms. There is still a chivalry that protects women and shields their ignorance. These illusions are maintained, even by men of the world who are acquainted with all the complex difficulties. It is the romantic view, a kind of male blindness, that nothing seems to cure. Women must be protected from men who are the great offenders in all sexual sins. Often I have marveled at the acceptance of men of a view of the sex conflict so highly untrue. Though flattering to women, depending as it does under entirely unapproved moral superiority. And here I wish to ask your attention to a consideration of the question that is very rarely appreciated. I regard it as exceedingly important. Those who are possessed with a frenzy for protecting girls ought to remember that there is still greater necessity to protect boys. It is forgotten that the young girls is not usually in constant close relations with other men than her father and brothers. She has to be guarded only from the outside lover, whom in the first beginning of intimacy she could, if she wished, easily repel. The reverse is in the case with boys. In a sense, they cannot escape from situations of danger. At school, in lodgings, even at home, in sickness and also in health. On every occasion, opportunities are provided that make abuse exceedingly easy. The part played in the sexual initiation of boys by servants, by lodging and boarding housekeepers, by other women who have to tend, and feed and mend for them is much larger than is credited. It is folly to close our eyes to the evils that so often arise. Probably every man who is a seducer of women was himself first seduced by a woman. In spite of the emancipation upon which women pride themselves, in spite of much theoretical knowledge, yes, in spite of social and rescue work, where it should be noted. They hear the woman's story but only in the rarest cases a man's story. Almost all women lead a shielded life. Much that happens is outside their experience, as long as they are virtuous. This sets definite limits to their knowledge and their power of comprehension. And this again explains the continued belief in the woman's notion that in all cases the girl is the victim of the man. It would be nearer the truth to reverse the position. Girls need to be taught the great and unavoidable responsibility. They should be trained to be protectors 
rather than to seek protection. Men will treat them as they want to be treated. Let us know for a moment. Be practical and consider if there is any reason we can discover which will explain why we hear so much more about the seduction of girls and the sins of men than we ever do about the other side. The tempting by women and girls and the seduction of boys. The answer is simple. The boy will not talk about what happens to him if he is led into a sexual offense at an early age. This is true also to a large extent of the man. But the boy especially considers he ought to have known. Also, he is much more self-conscious. Then he expects to be blamed for not resisting, whatever the circumstances. He will probably not tell anyone unless the girl does so, until years afterwards. I know a schoolboy who was seduced by a woman relation years older than himself in a very shameful way. This boy was of high character and very sensitive. He suffered in ways impossible to relate here. But he never told anyone until about 10 years afterwards, when he told the woman he was to marry. Now, if this case had been reversed and a young schoolgirl had been the victim of a male relative, I am fairly confident the fact would not have been concealed. Girls, even if not wholly innocent, almost always will tell, because it has at all times been allowed to them to blame the man. They thus can count on sympathy. This means much more than usually is reckoned with. Let me give a less tragic instance of a different and numerous character. A schoolboy about 17 years old was waiting for a motor bus in which he was going home. He was a dreamy boy and a bus came up and, lost in his thoughts, he did not take it. He was brought back to reality by a girl accosting him. I waited too, she said. You are glad, aren't you? You would like me to go in the bus with you. She smiled up at him, but he was not to be caught. I don't care the hell what you do as long as you don't expect me to pay your fare. He silenced her and sent her away. But how easily had a boy been a less confident type an incident might have been taken a different course. And then, if disaster had followed, the boy would be blamed. The girl would be pitied. There is an enormous amount of sex unfairness. I could recount many further cases in proof of how almost always it is the girl or the woman who takes the first steps in forming these friendships. Men, at least, will know that I speak the truth. And yet, this fiction of the greater virtue of the woman is persistently maintained while the man is condemned as being nearer the devil and the beast. I know that the many horrible cases of criminal assault upon children will be quoted against me in proof of the justice of this heavy condemnation of men. Please do not think that I am in any way unaware of the awfulness of these crimes. The protection of the little children is the one matter on which I feel most deeply. But there can be no fair comparison between this class of crime and the ordinary cases of seduction. Whether we believe it, is the man who seduces the woman, or the other way around, the woman who tempts and excites the boy or the man. In the one case, an unhappy and terrible degenerate is passion driven into the commission of an atrocity. In the other, there is, and indeed must be to some extent, a mutual purpose usually with some calculation and a certain deliberate choice. That is why it is so false to reality to regard one partner as a helpless victim. It is really a position that is impossible and ridiculous. Are we to believe that all women are impotent and imbecile weaklings incapable of resisting men? The truth is that in slandering men, we only slander women with a backward swing of the same blow. End of chapter 19 Recording by Maria Abrenica, 
World Audiobooks Podcast.